0: You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Parsha Review Podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the weekly Parsha Review. This week's Parsha is Parsha Tazriah. It is the fourth Parsha in the book of Vayikra, Leviticus, and the 27th portion since the beginning of the Torah. Now, we're just in the second half now of the Torah. During last week's Torah portion, during the reading of Parshas Shemini, it was an indication in most Chumashim of this is the midpoint of words or letters in the Torah. So now we're in this, ready in the second half. Kol to all of you for staying on board for the Parsha review for the first half of the Torah. The second half of the Torah is no less exciting and no less interesting and no less important than the first half of the Torah. There are 67 verses in this week's Parsha, 1,010 words, and 3,667 letters. It's not a very long Parsha. And there are seven mitzvahs in this week's Parsha, five performative mitzvahs, and two prohibitions. So the Parsha begins, this week's Parsha continues last week's discussion about the laws of purity and impurity, and we discuss the laws pertaining to childbirth. After a woman gives birth, she is ritually impure, for a set amount of days. She then immerses in a mikvah, a ritual bath, as we discussed at the end of last week's Parsha, and she brings a carbon, a sacrifice. When a tameh, who's an impure person, immerses in a mikvah, they become tahor, they become pure. All baby boys are commanded to be circumcised at eight days old, and that is the bris milah, which is the bris, the covenant of the Mila. The Torah discusses the unique disease called tzaras. Some people call it leprosy. I've seen in multiple places that leprosy is the wrong translation for tzaras. A miraculous rash-like affliction or illness that impurifies the recipient, their clothes, their dwellings, and this would result from a spiritual deficiency. Only a coin is authorized by the Torah to diagnose a tzaras, and pronounce the malady as such. A koan must be consulted to determine a diagnosis, whether it's the impurity of tzaras or just a regular illness. The Torah tells us four different types of tzaras, rash-like symptoms on healthy skin, a rash on a bald area of the head, a rash in an area of red swelling, a wound, or a burn, and a rash where there is hair. The Torah teaches the Kohen, which specific, teaches us and the Kohen, guides the Kohen, which specific signs to look for to identify the disease of Tzaras. The process of purification would require a quarantine. The Kohen isolates the sufferer for seven days. If the malady remains unchanged, confinement continues for a second week, and after which the Kohen decides the person's status. One whose tzaras is confirmed must wear torn clothing and they do not cut their hair and must alert others that they are ritually impure. He may not have normal contact with people and resides outside the camp. The Torah describes the different forms of tzaras, the burn, the bald patch, dull white spots, and the presence of a tzaras blemish on different kinds of fabrics, wool, linen, and leather. So this is a quick, brief summary of this week's Parsha. And now we're going to talk a little bit about some very, very important lessons that we can learn from this week's Parsha. The first is that why does the mother, after giving birth, bring an offering, a sin offering? I mean, after all, she's keeping humanity alive. She's bringing life to this world. And then after giving birth, she has to bring a sin offering? What sin was involved here? Our sages tell us something really, really incredible. And that is the pains of childbirth are so incredible that a woman may say things and make oaths or vows during childbirth that are contrary to her values. For example, she may be angry at her husband. What did you do to me? Or she may be angry at God. Or she might say, I'm never going to have children again. The Midrash actually says that one of the reasons children are so cute and delicious is to change the mother's perspective. When she gave birth, she was like, never again. Now she has such a sweet, delicious child. And she's like, the cuteness is just so overwhelming. She's like, I want another child and it makes her forget that pain. But the idea that words, and we'll see this more in this week's Parsha, words have serious consequence. All words have consequences. And when if a mother was to make such a vow or an oath, it would be something which is potentially sinful, and therefore she would bring a sin offering. Now, the mitzvah of bris on the eighth day why is it particularly on the eighth day? So there's a number of reasons. Uh, our sages tell us that we want the baby to be in this world for one Shabbos prior to having Ibris. Very interesting because a baby has, every Jew is supposed to have two signs of their relationship with God. Every Jew is supposed to have two signs. One sign is the bris, which only comes after eight days. Another sign is tefillin, which only begins after the age of 13. And the last sign and most important sign is Shabbos. So we started off with one sign, the Shabbos. Then we add the second sign of the bris. And then we add the third sign, which is at the bar mitzvah of a boy, they start putting on tefillin. Now, interestingly, That's one of the reasons why we don't put on tefillin, we don't wear tefillin on Shabbos. Because you only need two signs. So you have the Shabbos, and the bris is a constant. So the bris is a constant sign. Then when Shabbos, during the weekday, you have tefillin. And on Shabbos, because you have the sign of the Shabbos, you don't need the tefillin as well. Now, it's important for us to remember that the bris is an os, it's a sign, it's an identifier of the baby having a committed relationship with God. That forever, wherever they go throughout their life, whatever they end up doing, they'll always have this sign embedded on their flesh of a sign between them and the Almighty. There's a story told about Antoninus and Rebbe, they were very good friends. What's the history of that story? What happened was, is that Rebbe's mother, they were under the Roman rule in the land of Israel, and one of the rules they made was that no one was allowed to give a bris to their child. They weren't allowed to follow the laws of the Torah. But Rebbe's parents said, no way, we're not forsaking God because of the law of a lowly emperor. So they decided they're going to give their son a bris. That son's name was Yehuda, who later became Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi, who was called Rebbe. He's the author of the Mishnah. But what happened is they gave him a bris and the emperor found out about it, got very angry and said, you're going now to Rome, not the father. The mother and the baby are going to go to Rome. And over there, the Caesar is going to give the punishment. During the mother's travel to Rome, she stopped and she stayed at some Roman woman's home who was a righteous woman. And she had also a baby a couple of days earlier she wasn't Jewish, obviously. And she said with sympathy to Rabbi Yehuda Anasi's mother, she said, You know, I also had a baby a few days ago. Why don't I save your son's life? Take my baby with you to Rome, leave your baby here with me, and then they'll see that there's no bris on the baby. So she did that. The mother took this Roman baby to the Caesar and he looks and says, One second, there is no bris. What's going on over here? And he got very angry at the governor. And later the baby, Antoninus, became the emperor and he was a very close friend. The mothers made an agreement that Rabbi Yehuda would forever be a friend with this Antoninus. And they were very, very close. And during the entire lifetime of Antoninus, and I believe his son as well, there was never any harsh rules or decrees against the Jewish people because of that friendship and that relationship with Rabbi Yehuda. So the importance of a bris cannot be underestimated. There's another side benefit, which the Torah doesn't tell us, but because Hashem is the creator of heaven and earth and Hashem creates each and every human being, there's an added benefit to the eighth day being the day of the bris. And medical science backs this up, and that is there's a special vitamin that's in our body called vitamin K, which is a coagulant. And when a baby has a bris, you need a coagulant to stop the bleeding. The day in which a human being has the highest rate of vitamin K in their body is the eighth day after birth, which is quite a coincidence, but we know there is no coincidence in Hashem's world. So, there's another very fundamental teaching here in this week's parsha, and that is cause and effect. We see that when someone does something, there is an effect. There's a cause, and there's an effect. There's a result. When someone does something that is wrong, there is a result of punishment. There is a result of retribution. If someone, God forbid, steals from someone else, well, there's a punishment for it. If someone harms someone else, there's a punishment for it. If someone is ritually impure, there is also a punishment for it. Here, in this week's parsha, we learn about someone who gets saras. Saras is a form of illness or disease that comes onto a person. Why? Because they were spiritually deficient. Because they did something that distanced them from God. Now, let's remember something. What is a mitzvah? A mitzvah is something that brings us closer to God. What is a sin? A sin is something that distances us from God. When someone has a spiritual deficiency, what are they doing? They're distancing themselves from the Almighty. Our sages teach us that it's not that God is sort of punishing them. They're punishing themselves. They're causing affliction to themselves by distancing themselves from God. Now, there is a physical world and there is a spiritual world, and they parallel each other very, very powerfully. When someone spiritually distances themselves, when someone spiritually cuts themselves off, it says, for example, regarding Shabbos, it says, keep my Shabbos, why? Why? Because if you don't, you're cutting yourself off from your people. It's the most unbelievable statement by the Torah. It's not telling you that you're going to be cut off, that they're going to cut you off. No, you're cutting yourself off from the people. It's the result that you're causing yourself by making a choice of distancing yourself from God By not observing the Shabbos, what happens? The result is, and we see this, we see this throughout the generations, that when Jews were committed to Shabbos, their children, their grandchildren grew and were connected with their Judaism and were prosperous in their Judaism. When Jews disconnected from their Judaism, it was just a matter of time till there was no more Judaism in their family. It's a tragic reality that we're seeing in our generation. And it's something that if we can instill within ourselves to take a single step, a single small something on ourselves to elevate our Shabbos, to make our Shabbos more special, to, if we don't recite the Kiddush, recite the Kiddush. If we don't have two chalas for for dinner Friday night, we should have two chalas representing the manna. If we don't have special foods, let's get special foods. If we can't cook it, let's buy it. Let's make Shabbos special. And I always tell people, you know what? If you can't keep the whole Shabbos because it's new to you, because it's foreign to you, at least do Friday night. Because if you start with candle lighting and you don't turn on the lights, you don't turn off the lights, you're, you're on vacation now, vacation mode, then what happens? You keep the Friday night. By the time you wake up Shabbos morning, you already kept more than half of Shabbos. It's an incredible thing. From zero to half just by having... Friday night. And then we can add a little bit more. And then we can add a little bit more, but small, small steps. We encourage this many, many times in our Jewish Inspiration podcast, in all of our Muslim master classes, to not jump, take small steps. So, someone who wants to take a step in their Shabbos, I'll happily guide, I'll happily counsel, I'll happily talk to anyone. I've had several students over the years who have taken me up on this offer. And they said, Rabbi, I'm, I'm ready. Just tell me what to do. I told one of the people, take one light switch that you don't turn on and off on Shabbos. Put a piece of tape on it. This is your Shabbos light. And this light, we don't modify, we don't turn it on or off. One light switch. That's it? That's it? That was was what they asked me. I said, yeah, that's it. Just take one light switch. And you know what? Eventually it became two light switches. And three lights, which is eventually all the lights in their house were pre-programmed before Shabbos. This one on, this one off. I do that every Shabbos. About an hour or so before Shabbos, I walk around the entire house, which lights are on for Shabbos, which lights are off. Today you have these Shabbos clocks that you can use. You can schedule the time they go on and they go off automatically. You schedule it before Shabbos. It's perfect. So all of these, all of these, uh, incredible pieces of technology really help us in, in our observance of Shabbos. And that's why I believe Hashem allowed the world to be with all of this technology. Everything can be automated, right? Our shop, our refrigerator, you know, when we go buy an appliance, you don't think about, well, you do think about Shabbos. Guess what? Our refrigerator has a Shabbos mode. And you press the button, it turns off the lights, so when we open the door, it doesn't turn the lights on. And it stops the, the ice maker. And as soon as Shabbos is over, we push the button, it turns it off Shabbos mode, and everything is back to normal. It's an incredible feature. Today, you have Samsung, KitchenAid, all of these beautiful appliance manufacturers recognize that they have a big clientele of juice who want to have a holiday mode or a Shabbos mode. And it's an amazing feature so that we can add To our Shabbos experience, we can add to our Shabbos joy. But what we're saying is that there's a parallel between the physical and the spiritual world. And when someone is spiritually connected, then physically as well, they're blessed in every way possible. When someone says something with their words, with their mouth, they say something negative about another person, they're spiritually distancing themselves. And therefore, the punishment is is apropos, is appropriate for that. We'll see soon. Holiness, purity is a real thing. And the world today is so debased, is so incredibly distant, people don't even recognize that there's something called holiness or purity the way in which people walk, the way in which people talk, the way in which people act on videos, TikTok or YouTube or whatever, just for another click, just for another piece of attention. And they're debasing themselves, lowering themselves. There is something called holiness. There is something called purity. And we talk about it a lot in our classes, but it's important for us to have purity of our eyes, purity of our mouth, purity of our body, And this is a central focus in the Torah. Right in the middle of the Torah, we have the Torah talk about holiness and purity because it's that important. It's the essence of it all. (laughs) A very interesting thing about the Mitzorah, the person who has tsaras, the person who's afflicted with this disease, is that they cut off all the hairs after the purification process. Now, we know that part of the purification process was that they cut their hair. And now when they're done, they cut their hair again. So there are two re- reasons brought. Number one, I, I, I saw two reasons, and I'd like to share them with you, maybe three. The first is that hair shows you that you can regrow. You can start over again. You cut off the hair, hair grows back. Guess what? You made a mistake. You can grow back. You can change. Don't be so depressed and so, Oh, look at me. I was that Mitzora. I was the one who was sent out of the camp. I was the one who got this disease. It's okay. You can grow back. The first thing is encouragement. Second thing is that our sages tell us that why does Tsaras come upon a person? Because they spoke slanderously about another person. Why do we speak slanderously about another person? Number one is because we feel haughty and arrogant over other people. I'm greater, I'm more refined, I'm more this, I'm more that, whatever, than any other person. But also because we could be jealous of another person. The here, Talmud says, that no two hears can grow from one follicle. And if it did, you would die. That means every single here has its own source hinting to us don't be jealous of another person. Don't be angry at your competitor. Don't be short-sighted because you know what? We, each of us, are that here. And we have a God who takes care of each and every one of us individually. And no here can harm the other. Just like two heres don't grow from one follicle, two people are not sourced from the same income. Hashem designates for each individual their own source of income and someone else won't take away from it. Therefore, there's no need to be jealous. There's no need to be angry at anyone else. Another thing is that Saras, this disease, would cause a very itching motion. What happens when you itch it? It gets worse. Why is the punishment of this disease that they get all of this leprosy-like type of affliction that becomes itchy. Then you want to scratch it. Say, just tell us something so incredible. Because you're going to go to your itch and try to scratch it, not realizing it's really from Hashem. Everything is from Hashem. It's like the stick and the dog. You hit the the dog with the stick, so what does the dog do? It bites the stick not realizing who's behind it. We need to recognize that the Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, is the one behind it. It's a message telling you you lost sight of your priorities. You lost sight of what's really important. Just like that dog bites the stick, we're scratching the wound. And we shouldn't. Don't focus on the wound. Focus on your relationship with God. So this is a very strong warning to refrain from speaking badly about others. And, you know, there are three types of speech transgressions that are noted by our sages. Number one is Lashon Hara. What is Lashon Hara? Lashon Hara is literally an evil tongue making a truthful, derogatory, or damaging statement about someone else, even though this is truth. And so many people say why it's not lashon hara it's true no 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 that makes it lashon hara lashon hara is when you speak a truthful statement about another person that is derogatory anytime you say something derogatory about another person it is a sin or say just tell us the Chaim notes that it's 17 i believe it's 17 different prohibitions in the torah that one is violating by speaking slanderously about another person 17 biblical Violations. The second form of verbal transgression is motsi shemra, and that is slander, making a false, derogatory, or damaging statement about someone else. So, lushin har is when it's truthful. Motsi shemra, which is literally putting out a bad name to someone, is about a false, derogatory, or damaging statement. And Rechilus is the third. Rechilus is a talebearer, someone who runs around saying something negative. Oh, do you know what Joe said about you? Do you know what Shmo said about you? And they're running around as a rachel, a peddler. A peddler, well, it's a form of gossip. We say gossip about everything that's negative. But a gossip monger, I would say. Someone who goes out there and is telling everyone, oh, do you know what they said about you? I was just there in their office. I'm telling you, they just said that, right? Or that someone did something against you. This is rechilus and also is one of the three major forms of negative speech that Hashem really, really, really doesn't want us living with that kind of life where we're talking negatively about other people. So, what can a person do? A person can always do teshuva. And if an individual corrects their ways, the purification process is very simple. And the Torah gives us the process of purification, how to heal, how to repair the mistakes that we make. The Torah doesn't want to punish us. The Torah wants us to be in the right when it comes to our relationship with with the Almighty. The power of words are so great. We need to teach ourselves to have purity of speech. I want to share with you and conclude with this, my understanding of how this works. You see, let's imagine that people were worth human credits, right? So I meet someone for the first time. They look like a nice person. They're dressed finely. Most people, we give them a certain amount of human credits. Let's say we give them a thousand points of human credit. Someone comes over to me after and they're like, do you know that Joe that you just met? Greatest person ever. I know them for years. Their word is a word. Where did that thousand human points go to now? It went up. Like, wow. And then we meet another person. They say, oh, that Joe, such a special person. So special. So unique. So refined. I love that person. You go even higher. But what happens if God forbid it was the opposite? We meet this Joe, thousand human credits. Someone walks over to us after, like, Joe, you know Joe? Watch yourself. Dangerous guy. Very bad reputation. Hold on to your wallet. Whatever it may be. Where did that human credit go now? It was the client. If we understand that God wants God created every human being. You're saying derogatory things about God's creation. God wants His creations that He worked on creating. bit Salem Elokim, God created us in His image. We should find nice things to say about people. Elevate people's value. Don't decrease it. Don't diminish it. Shem should bless us. We should have an amazing Shabbos.